What separates a good anime from a great anime? Why do some animes stick with us long after we've watched it? Welcome to the workshop. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. We're two friends from high school and now aspiring writers. And in this podcast, we discuss and deconstruct storytelling elements in some of our favorite animes. Today in the workshop, we will be talking about the highly acclaimed season one of Jujutsu Kaisen. Based on the manga by Gege Akutami and with stunning animation brought to life by Studio Mappa, Jujutsu Kaisen is an urban fantasy brimming with style, heart, and comedy, and is a fresh new addition to the frontrunners of shonen anime. So Jujutsu Kaisen is set in a world of cursed spirits that are born from the hatred and fear of humans towards the world and also towards other people. These spirits are exorcised by curse users, who are humans, who can perceive and channel cursed energy in various ways. After making his grandfather one last promise to do good and to save others, Yuji swallows a special grade cursed object that curses him and is propelled into the thrilling world of cursed spirits and sorcerers. Ooh, spooky. So this is just a warning that there will be spoilers. We will be spoiling essentially the entirety of the first season, uh, the, the 24 episodes. So if you haven't watched Jujutsu Kaisen yet, oh my goodness, go watch it, please. Go watch it right now. Our overall impressions will hopefully be mostly spoiler free. So first of all, I'd like to say that not that this show just has it all. Like it has all yes, of the hype and the <laughs> elements that make shonen anime so cool, so visually engaging. And also beyond that, like it's also just really funny. Um I think that <laughs> I really have a soft spot for shows that can make you fall in love with the characters. It tries to explore really really dark and grim themes one of the main themes that it does talk a lot about is death and what does it mean to die a proper death right um mm. obviously there are a lot of questions that surround that and it is a question that our protagonist even has to face multiple times throughout the show every step of the way he learns something new and he's able to reevaluate what his answer to that question is um, and in terms of the writing, I thought that this show was very self-aware in two ways. Mm -hmm. So the first way, um, I think that it's very aware of its genre and the responsibilities that come with being a shonen show. Yeah, um, and what I mean by that is everything feels paced very well uh, in terms of like our protagonist's learning curve. Uh, they always feel, it always feels like they're using things that happened to them in the past, their previous experiences, to build upon their, I guess, arsenal of tools and the way it affects the way in which they interact with other villains, other people in the future. And then also, there are a few tropes that I feel like the show is also aware of that they very like cleverly kind of address. Um, so there's yeah. 
occasionally there's a number of times throughout the show where <laughs> yuji is like so bled and he almost like breaks the fourth wall uh, yeah. and questions like oh like why is this time skip happening like why is this happening um <laughs> in a very like comedic way it's able to like make light of elements that might make typical shonen a little bit you know like cookie cutter i guess yeah um and also I guess the last thing that I just really, really love about this show are the battle sequences. There's so many moving parts in every single battle that it's honestly borderline convoluted. Like for some battles, I was literally like, what? What's going on? Like there's always a lot of moving parts, but I feel like it never really gets out of hand. In fact, I think it strikes a really good balance between... um, being understandable but also being complicated enough that it's still genuinely interesting the fights of this show just have it all they have the visuals they have the intellect i i really really love (laughs) when battles are like well thought out uh they have character growth you know we always talk about how battles have to do something for our characters our main characters if they're involved Mm -hmm. they have to do something for them emotionally or they have to have to at least help them you know grow in some type of way and i there was never a battle where i came out of it feeling like it was aimless plus the fact that it was like a lot of the battles were unpredictable and genuinely surprising Mm -hmm. i think that like, frankly, that's one of the most important elements of a shonen battle anime. You know, I went in with an analytical eye and um, I felt like the beginning of the show was paced really well, but I was kind of wondering where they were going to go with it. And mm-hmm. But by the end of the season, I was just, yeah. I was floored. Like, I was yeah. just so happy. I felt the same way. Um, when I watched it for the first time, the first half of the season... I was like, okay, it's a shonen. And then by the back half, I was like, this show is is doing something yeah. different. Not only do I think it is very well written um, and fast paced, I also think that it's establishing itself very well as um, just as like the part of this new generation of shonen battle anime. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with its style, uh, characterization and comedy and just its overall vibe. Like this show has a vibe and it's very strong. Um, If you listen to our last episode, you will know that Bleach, which is written by Taite Kubo, was one of my all time favorite animes ever. So it came as no surprise to me when I found out that Akutami, who writes Jujutsu Kaisen, was also very inspired by Kubo and Bleach because this show really feels like Bleach for the new generation. Mm. There's a lot of overlap in the aesthetic, even in the music, and um, especially with it being an urban fantasy. I want to touch upon urban fantasy as a genre because I've mentioned before that one thing I really like from urban fantasy is when the story feels truly grounded in Mm -hmm, the real world um so what i mean by that is i like when everything about the world building and the characterizations feels contemporary um even the style of humor it's kind of silly and deadpan Mm -hmm. um it's a little bit slapstick as well but i feel like the humor is very smart and attuned to this generation's style of humor yeah the show has a really strong personality Mm -hmm. and 
on top of that, I love the episodes where the characters are like investigating a supernatural mystery. Yes. Um, I'm like a big fan of that trope. Uh, I love the animation. Every fight was very expensive looking, very cinematic, especially the latter half of the show. Like every fight just got better and better. I love that the show doesn't hold back on darker themes. Um, I know you touched upon this as well, but I think the way that this show explores darker themes is very different from other shonen anime. It explores things like death and morality in a lot more of a nuanced way than I've seen in any shonen. Mm-hmm. Um, with Jujutsu Kaisen, whenever there are like darker themes or moments, the show feels a lot more meditative. It kind of forces characters and the audience to linger in those unsettling feelings without any sort of resolution, really. Mm. Um, And there's a lot less of that overbearing preachiness that you see in a lot of other shonen anime. Um, I mean, that kind of stuff, I think, has a time and place. But I think it fits the vibe of this show to not do that as much. Um, It's pretty good at showing versus telling when it comes to emotion. And I, I also want to talk about shonen tropes and subversion. I'm really impressed with how well... Akutami exhibits his knowledge of this genre. Um, I use the exact same uh, phrasing in my notes. I said the show is very, very self-aware. It's littered with these pop culture references to other shonen anime, to um, real-life Hollywood celebrities. Uh, (laughs) It creates this feeling that the characters are real teenagers. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's so impressive how polished and fine-tuned the tropes feel but they are also subverted in really genuinely unique ways um and i'll talk about it more when i talk about the writing i think the world building is really intriguing you get a glimpse of this bigger jujutsu sorcerer world you get a taste of really a really interesting political squabble between the old-timey traditional sorcerers and this new generation of sorcerers and i think a big reason this season excels is that it gives you a hint of intrigue it Mm -hmm. hints at all of these characters that we hear about but haven't met yet um which creates this sense that we're only seeing the tiniest sliver of this plot and i really like that the season spends most of its time just fleshing out the main cast and who they are and endearing you to them i think that's a very effective way to handle a first season so I'm really looking forward to season two. I'm looking forward to exploring more of the power structures of the world and more of the villain motivations. But overall, I was so in love. I was so enamored by this entire yeah. season, this entire show. Okay, so that was our first impressions. Let's dive right in to the exposition, episodes one to three. We see Yuji tied up in this mysterious room and he's talking to this man who introduces himself as Gojo Um, and immediately we learn who he is he's a teacher so he's the sensei character and then right before it cuts the opening credits and right before we flash back to how Yuji got there Gojo is telling our main character that he's about to be executed Um, very intriguing lots of questions I like that this show immediately starts with this like like this shock factor thing and i thought at first that the show was going to just like use that just for like an opening hook but that is actually something that carries on 
as a point of tension for the rest of the show, which we'll get to when we talk about future episodes. The way that the first episode is written tells you a lot about the writer. Um, because it tells you... Because the, fir- the first scene isn't always necessarily the first thing that the writer writes, but... I feel like a lot of care is always put into the ending and also the beginning. Definitely, yeah. So I think that the placement of that cold open is was very intentional um, to create suspense. Mm-hmm. But also the opening scene of Yuji calling the hospital to check in on his grandfather. Like, mm-hmm. you can just tell that the first episode was very carefully crafted in terms of pacing and in terms of what the writer wants the audience to know about his characters. I want to talk about the hospital scene because I think that just from the first two minutes, we're able to gather so much about Yuji and his relationship with his grandfather. So, you know, we can assume that he cares a lot about his grandfather or he has at least some stake in his well-being. And then to our surprise, his grandfather is like this like super rough guy who's really like prone to anger. He yells at his grandson a little bit. Um, but that tells us that, you know, they have a complicated relationship. And I just thought it was so interesting that they portray Yuji as this character that is a little bit more serious in the beginning, like a little bit more somber because he, from the cold open and from this scene, you, you don't really see his, like, you know, laid back and silly personality just yet. We're actually introduced to him first as a pretty serious guy. Yuji interacting with Gojo and Yuji interacting with his grandfather. And we're already able to learn, like, so much about our main protagonist just from the first few minutes. Like, I was really, really impressed by the beginning. The scenes that he chooses to focus on is very well curated. Um, the... Scene where his his grandfather dies, um, first of all, whenever you see a sick grandparent in any show, immediately you kind of like, it gets me like really tense because I always know like, okay, this character is probably going to die. Yeah. um, And I'm just waiting for it to happen. But this show almost feels like it knows that. And the grandfather um, passes away uh, pretty much within the first 10 minutes of the episode or something like that. Mm -hmm. And when I first watched that scene... And his grandfather has the speech about, you know, spend your life saving others, help as many people as you can. So you don't die like me. You don't die alone. You you die a proper death, whatever. At first, I was like very on the nose and a little bit contrived. But when I went back and watched this episode for the second time, having watched the rest of the season, it hit a little bit different because the idea of what death means to Yuji is a reoccurring motif for the rest of the season. And the way that Yuji keeps remembering this moment with his grandfather um, comes back in different ways. It comes back multiple times, Mm -hmm. but as he continually reflects on it, he reflects on it in more and more substantive ways. Even when his grandfather dies, like it's not it's not it's a very quiet scene Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel melodramatic at all and the show doesn't even dwell on it because Mm -hmm. as soon as he passes away it cuts to Fushiguro showing up and telling Yuji like um sorry you're mourning but I need something from you (laughs) it just keeps going like the show is Mm -hmm. so 
or the episode is like very fast paced. The ball is always rolling. I think it was an intentional choice to start our protagonist off as a boy who's kind of just blindly following his grandfather's last will and words. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, that dedication is questioned and acknowledged by the teachers around him, by himself, through the experiences that he has to have. Yeah, it took away from the viewing experience at first, like when you mm-hmm. first watch it. But in hindsight, you realize that there is, is very much a process of refining Yuji's motivations and Yuji's characterization and everything. And that was kind yeah. of his his starting point, you know? Mm-hmm. So I agree. I, I want to appreciate um, a couple... A couple scenes that happen when the um, this special grade curse gets unleashed at the yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yuji, when he comes in and like comes through the window to join the fight, and he just like punches the curse in the face. I was like, why is he such a jock? <laughs> He's such a dumb jock. No thoughts, head empty. Yeah. <laughs> I want to also talk about Gojo's character introduction. I know technically he was in the cold open, but this is his actual character introduction. This is when Yuji first meets him. Mm-hmm. I think it is chaotic as hell that Gojo shows up to find his student, <laughs> Fushiguro, on the verge of death. And he he strolls up yeah. and he was like, I'm checking in on you on a whim just because I have time. And we learn that... He's the worst teacher ever. He was just off souvenir shopping while his student was, like, hunting Sukuna's finger. Like, he's established to be essentially the most powerful sorcerer as as of right now in the world of sorcery. Mm -hmm. But this guy, like, isn't here for half the season. And do you know why? Yeah, a lot of questions. It's because... Everyone's always like, oh, yeah, he's just off on a business trip. Or he's, like, on vacation. And it's Mm -hmm. like... Literally all your problems could be solved if Kojo yeah. was there. Mm-hmm. But they just like, you know, yeah, he's he's such a force to be reckoned with that for narrative purposes, he can't always be there or else things yeah. would just be too easy. So, okay, here's what I find really interesting. The idea that the systems of power in this world are dictating that Yuji, our main character, is only being kept around to eventually die Mm -hmm. is an interesting point of tension to set up literally in your first couple episodes. And it almost casts this shadow over the entire story. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't wait to see how it plays out. I really like the line that Gojo says when he's telling Yuji the situation of like, you have two options. Either you can die now or mm. you can swallow more fingers and die later. I just think it's so like Yuji to not even have that be like a motivating factor. Like if you mm-hmm. watch him throughout the entire season, not once is it revealed that his motivation is a desire to stay alive because he doesn't want to die from yeah. from this like by execution he never puts too much thought on this decision that's been presented before him exactly and i think it does kind of speak to his like good naturedness his Mm kind-heartedness because he is kind of that sacrificial 
savior type protagonist that mm-hmm. is quite quite common in shonen genres yeah um, but yeah i i had the exact same note in my notes like i think this is such a highly interesting point of conflict for that the whole show is going to be essentially grounded upon i think that's something that this show does a lot like it sets mm-hmm. up a lot of terrible circumstances that's gonna have that could potentially happen down the line so that yeah. you have you start now developing a sense of like dread yeah <laughs> for the next few seasons mm-hmm. you know <laughs> yeah. okay episode three we meet best girl <laughs> novara okay so, best girl but also she scares the hell out of me like yeah she was that's why she's person. best girl <laughs> i think novara really really rounds out this main cast first of mm-hmm. all she shows up she's from the countryside um she shows up to tokyo and she takes one look at the boys and she's like making all these snap judgments about them and the dynamic of the team is so well established in this episode mm-hmm. um you really get the sense that she is like the final piece of the puzzle in this cast. She is the abrasive, almost narcissistic type. Mm -hmm. And then you have Yuji, who's the outgoing ball of sunshine. Fushiguro is like the reserved tsundere. And then Gojo is your OP troublemaker, you know, who who acts dumber than he is. Those are like really good descriptions. Yeah. And you know, when you first have a female character show up, you're like, okay, so she's the token female character. But I feel like in this episode, she slots in so well with the rest of the main mm-hmm. cast. Like, I was living for her. I love her. Yeah. I felt like when she was first introduced and she, you know, she, as we said, she's on the same wavelength as Yuji a lot of the time. So we yeah. had so many, like, comedic moments of the two, along with Gojo, like, just acting crazy. Acting Sharing nuts. the same brain cells. And so, <laughs> and so I feel like there there could have been a little bit danger there uh, with making the two of them, Yuji and Nobara, too mm-hmm. similar. Which is mm-hmm. why I appreciated that they conveniently had an episode with just the two of them going in to this haunted building alone yeah. and mm-hmm. showing the audience the difference at their core between these two characters. Exactly, And yeah. for me, you could have a different opinion, but for me, I think that difference is the way that they think um, about, just like the way that they think and solve problems under pressure because Yuji thinks with his heart a lot and his intuition and his guts but Mm -hmm. Nobara is more logical she thinks with her brain and she tries to come out with the best outcome so in this episode when they're faced with the hostage situation where it's obviously somebody else's life on the line you can see like Nobara going through the the possibilities she's like okay well you know it'd be better if I came out of this alive instead of the both of us dead exactly whereas Yuji just kind of smacks through the wall and dumb jock he's a dumb jock we kind of get the first taste of their differences but how they're compatible with each other in combat yeah I really like what Gojo says um because Gojo and Fushiguro uh, stay outside and they're just mm-hmm. chatting and I like how Gojo tells Fushiguro today is more of a test for no to see how crazy Nobara is and he <laughs> yeah. uses that phrasing to see how crazy she is I I think it's a really interesting idea that to be a jujutsu sorcerer mm. you you channel your negative emotions right same thing so presumably someone who has a lot of negative emotions can draw from a lot of power and Gojo explains that 
there's some degree of insanity yeah. that is required to be a powerful jujutsu sorcerer, even if you're talented. It's not an easy job, so you have to be quite resilient and a little mm-hmm. bit crazy, crazy to be able to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I like that idea because, first of all, it's just an interesting world-building idea, but also it's kind of like a good narrative de- a good narrative device mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to make your characters quirky, you know? Like, yeah. to make your characters kind of weird. Um, I just thought it was, like, an interesting detail. Mm-hmm. So that wraps up our exposition. We'll go on to the next arc. This episode goes into moral dilemmas, one of many, where Fushiguro and Yuji are talking mm. about this idea of who is, quote-unquote, worth saving. Yuji wants, finds this dead body of one of the inmates, and he wants to bring the dead body um, back to his mother who is waiting outside. And Fushiguro tells him that it's not worth risking your life for someone who's done terrible things. He's really challenging Yuji's idea or ideology of trying to save everyone. And I really like the progression of the, like, just the pacing in this episode, because as the tension of their argument is building Mm -hmm. what you see is nobara gets sucked into the floor the (laughs) The special grade shows up and the first thing we see is yuji's hand immediately getting sliced off it was just a really good like it was really good tension like you really got Mm -hmm. the sense that these guys are gonna die and yuji does die um the scene where he is evaluating what to do and comes to the conclusion that he needs to use Sukuna to get out of this, but he can't do that while Nobara and Fushiguro are around because it's too dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, I just really liked that moment. It was not overwritten. It wasn't melodramatic. It just happens and you immediately understand that Fushiguro is recognizing that Yuji is begging him without mm-hmm. Yuji having to beg him. I also like that Yuji has to face the consequences for not having a training arc yet. Yeah. Um, like he's getting absolutely demolished and he's really just buying time for Fushiguro and Nobara to get out. I think it was really powerful the moment where Yuji, his body is basically like getting absolutely like ripped apart mm-hmm. and he shows a lot of fear and regret. There's still a real moment of him saying, if only I hadn't swallow that Mm -hmm, finger mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. he says i want to run i don't want to die and i mean that does lead him to i guess because the buildup of negative emotions he's able to bring out his cursed energy for the first time but i thought it was like a really powerful moment to to really see your shonen protagonist like break down and Mm -hmm. regret his choices i do want to talk a little bit about sukuna and Yuji's relationship, I guess. Well, Sukuna is essentially possessing Yuji, and that's not an uncommon thing to do in shonen anime. And so when Yuji shifts into becoming Sukuna and having Sukuna take over his body, I just think that the animation is crazy for this because <laughs> Yuji's body physically looks bigger. Um, mm. I know there are the physical differences, like the tattoos and also... I guess, like, the lack of injuries or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you do have to portray this character as being the same height, the same person, the same body, the same build, 
but mm-hmm. have all of those changes come through through attitude and confidence and like yeah conduct i think that's pretty crazy it's kind of scary like i really he is kind of scary <laughs> yeah yeah i really thought that yeah. that was like crazy for the animators to do that just to go back to the whole idea of like why were these first years investigating mm-hmm. um a case that was way, way, way out of their league. I really like the reasoning that Akutami gives us. We learn mm-hmm. that the higher ups sent the first years to deal with the special grade curse on purpose because Gojo was out of town, knowing mm-hmm. that they would probably die. I like this because it exposes the bureaucratic politics um, of the Jujutsu world. The yeah. higher ups were making these movements to tactfully kill Yuji because they are at odds with Gojo. Very nice world building detail there. When Gojo sort of talks about his dream of Mm. revolutionizing the Jujutsu world um, by raising a a new generation of of sorcerers, um, I am really excited to see more of that clash of Gojo's view of the world versus the conservatism of the existing Mm -hmm. powers that he's trying to bring down. That's what I love to see from a shonen um, in the sense that you know, the world and the danger is like much bigger than we can even see right now. I think that's just really cool. The fight scene between Jogo and Gojo in the next I hate episode. That. So Jogo and Gojo. Yeah. Like I hate saying that. Yeah. But that is what we get in episode seven. Mm-hmm. Um where Jo oh, my freaking hack. Jogo <laughs> The volcano one. He decides to meathead jock it up and he's like, I'm just going to kill Gojo right now. And we know how strong Jogo is, presumably, but we haven't seen how strong Gojo is. Okay, I want to talk about how powerful this show makes Gojo out to be. I think that it was so deliberate that while Yuji was dead... Mm-hmm. Um, Gojo says this line where he basically implies that he sees potential in sor- certain sorcerers of this world to one day attain the same level of power as him, and he includes Yuji in that list. So I yeah. think it's crazy that we have this image now of what Yuji could become, right? Because we just right. see how amazing Gojo is. Because we know what Yuji is like now, and now we know where he's going to end up or where he has the potential, what he has the potential to become. It's like we have all of this like learning to do and building to do. uh, And it just like raises our expectations for what's to come, you know, in his character development. I agree. And I think it's one thing for the writer to say, this guy is OP. Like it's to the point where the villains literally cannot carry out their plan until Gojo's dead. And they don't even try. Like, yeah, and they're they like, yeah, we're not even going to go there. Really, this episode just serves to be like a little bit of a training arc for mm-hmm. Yuji, but also just to raise a good amount of questions about the yeah. lore and yeah, about Gojo's yeah. power. And I hope the show delves into it later. Also, also? Limitless Domain is... Mm, why is he like this? Like... It's so visually, like, crazy Stunning. stimulating. Yeah. <laughs> I know, like, oh my gosh. Just the idea that you can't even touch the guy because yeah. there is an infinity between you and him. Like, mm-hmm. that's how unattainable he is. Like, what is the most powerful shonen 
protag or villain that you can think of right now. And can they <laughs> can they match up against Gojo? I keep seeing these threads no, on Twitter of like who would win? This character right, or this me character. Too. <laughs> and I I saw like every time I see anything versus Gojo, I'm like what? Like I don't know. They, I, right. I saw like Levi Ackerman versus no, Gojo. No, 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 I was like, I'm Attack sorry, on Titan but... is like a masterpiece in and of itself. <laughs> but the AUs just don't match up. You the know, AUs so... don't work. I was like, 3D maneuver gear would not work in no, a limitless no, 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 domain. It wouldn't, it wouldn't. Okay, it's like almost comical how OP they make him. Like mm-hmm. it's like, it's crazy. Oh, I wanted to talk about the villains because this episode mm-hmm. ends with a, a scene with the villains we meet the final party member of the main villain squad mahito who is a fairly young curse and we learn a new part of their plan which is to kill gojo when the time is right and that is planned for october 31st in shibuya i want to talk about why i love this in the context mm. of urban fantasy mm. because first of all this show has such halloweeny vibes mm-hmm. and the audacity of akutami to be like October 31st. The audacity. Um, and using the setting of Shibuya, which is f- like famous, well known for its, for, ha- for mm. being this like w- wild um, Halloween street That's party. True. That's just really cool to me. And it's really smart of the mangaka to make use of real world culture like that. Um, it just goes back to like what I was saying about the show feeling really contemporary. Like imagine a fight taking place like a big fantastical fight taking place but like halloween like in shibuya what why is he so cool riddled with like contemporary places in japan too exactly it's like it knows exactly its audience Mm -hmm. i love it so much (laughs) i'm I'm obsessed i'm a fan i'm a fan (laughs) akutami (laughs) okay let's move on to my favorite arc. Ooh, yeah, my episodes favorite 9 to 13. Is the Junpei, Junpei arc. It makes sense why Mahito, being the curse that represents human hatred, is thematically parallel to Junpei's character um, as a kid who's bullied, you know, and channeling that hatred in a very powerful way. Mm-hmm. Um, that is kind of our thematic setup for this arc. But before we go into all of that, I want to talk about Nanami. Um, and because he is another sorcerer that we meet at the start of this arc. And I really like his character. Yeah. He, so Nanami <laughs> says, I studied at Jujutsu High and learned sorcerers are shit. So I went to work at a company and I learned work is also <laughs> shit. So if both are equally shit, I'll take the one I'm more suited to. He is. Okay. What's really yeah. interesting about Nanami is that he. he it's just a regular guy. Yeah, literally. Um, so the way he's crafted is done in such a way that he literally represents the nine to five salary man. Mm-hmm. But his job is that he exercises demons instead yeah. of working in an office. Um, and I just really like that he's he's really quirky, but he also just like he he represents like someone in the real world, like literally just like a businessman. And I mm-hmm. really like that archetype of a character especially in an urban fantasy yeah yeah and i think that that quirkiness to him has such a great impact here because it really juxtaposes the nine to five business day with the crazy world of sorcery it's like how can you get those two worlds to be consistent with each other and 
as we said earlier, you do have to be a little bit crazy to be in this job. And I think Nanami is that way. But Mm -hmm. under the guise of, you know, a normal civilian nine to five. Okay. I love. Yeah. I hate the way (laughs) that that Junpei and Yuji get along so well. And it's like when you make two characters get along so well. Yeah. Something bad definitely going to happen. Something's up. I knew something bad was going to happen. And yet, I was still shocked when the bad thing happened. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. Mm. They have this conversation, essentially, about their contrasting ideologies. Basically, Junpei, who's lived a life full of fear, full of fear and hatred towards his bullies, towards the bystanders that have seen him get bullied and hurt. Um, He's really reaching for some kind of justification that would justify revenge on his enemies. But that is in such contrast to Yuji's ideology, which is, as we said, this universal desire to save everybody. Um, And I get the, you get the sense that Junpei is also a very, very malleable character in that when he, he gets influenced really easily. When he, um, is able when he interacts with Mahito, he really absorbs a lot of what the villains say to him, and yeah. they. It's almost like the villains know that, so it's even a more sinister uh, way of manipulating his emotions. And you can see that in the way that Mahito tells him, uh, "You know, this will save you. Like this justification will better your life," and he believes mm. it. But then when you see him with Yuji. And Yuji, obviously, being a character that we know has a great influence on people around him, when you see, like, these two interact, you almost have the sense of, like, please, like, sway him over to the good side, like, save this character, because mm-hmm. you, he could be saved, like, he's on the brink right now, you know? And the reason why I say the post-dinner scene is so well like, built up to and constructed is because, yeah. like, it seems very believable. You know that Junpei has a lot of questions on his mind. Mm-hmm. I think that those moments really endear you uh, to a character like Junpei because you can see how he struggles and see how he's influenced. I think that Yuji, like meeting someone his age, someone a lot like him, but who has a very different view of morality and mm-hmm. killing. Like, I think Junpei asks Yuji something about, like, Oh, as a jujutsu sorcerer, like, have you ever killed anyone? Would you ever kill anyone? And I think there's this, like, really stark contrast between cynicism versus optimism or positivity. Mm. And in the conversation, you see the flaws in both outlooks because you do see that, like, you know, both of them are making points. Both of them have come from different experiences and are, are... fundamentally like at their core like they've been shaped by those experiences in such different ways but you also see just Junpei like slowly getting influenced by Yuji's outlook almost but when his mom is murdered it's a turning point that Junpei can't come back from Mm -hmm. but it almost makes you ask like what if like what if Mm -hmm. Junpei met Yuji earlier what if his mom didn't die like if he didn't have, because the thing about Junpei's character is that he is a, there's a series of things that have pushed him and pushed him and pushed right. him. 
the villains come in and just they give him that final push off the deep end so it's not like Junpei is someone who just like immediately he just like turns on his bullies just like that Mm -hmm. it's like you get the sense that it's the final domino that has been toppled over which is what makes his character feel really tragic um Mm -hmm. are you ready to talk about his like when he dies (laughs) (laughs) yeah so so when he dies sorry i'm not you go first (laughs) okay so there is a running joke in the anime community that shonen protagonists can change people and villains through the power of words and friendship Mm. and i think that's another trope of many that this show chooses to subvert in the most visceral way with Junpei by showing that Yuji can try really hard to do that and still fail. So firstly, Junpei's character is teased in the opening every single episode. He is explicitly shown as being part of the cast in the opening, wearing the Jujutsu High uniform, hanging out with the rest of the squad, leading us to believe that when we finally meet his character, we think we're being introduced to a new cast member because of how we are wired as anime viewers, yeah. as shonen viewers. And Akutami yeah. knows that. Um, we think that he is eventually going to be a student that will join the school. And instead, we see that the power of friendship is not enough. And yeah. Junpei gets lured in by Mahito. And in the end, Junpei not only suffers, but he ends up being used like a tool in this like grander plan and Yuji is forced to watch him die in this very brutal way. And so to be honest, like as sad as this arc was, I was pleasantly surprised by Akutami's audacity to (laughs) lean into this trope, like fully just go into it and then pull the rug up from Uh under you. I was impressed. But I was yeah. also like, <laughs> I was like traumatized. I was traumatized. I think yeah. you hit the nail on the head. Um, I think the reason why this death is so traumatizing is because you are set up to believe that Junpei is going to be an integral character. Like, I think that when we talk about shonen shows or seasons, um, the protagonist needs that first L, you know? And you're right, we're under the expectation that he's going to join the cast. And even before he dies, there's a flash to a picture of what Yuji imagines could have been. And Mm -hmm. it's the four of them with Junpei in the uniform and everything. And you just think like, yeah, like Junpei, his personality fits too. It's like the the four of them would have been a great, you know, they they would have had a good Mm -hmm. dynamic. And I think the fact that Junpei was built up as a character who is by all uh, other accounts innocent um but yeah. just easily influenced mm-hmm. and the fact that right before he dies um he he like tells Yuji don't hurt Mahito like he's a good guy and he realizes that he's <laughs> like he has a revelation that he's be- been manipulated and mm-hmm. that's like the moment that he dies too like so i think for our protagonist this was a very great experience for his learning curve and development but like mm-hmm. as a viewer like i'm still as a viewer i need therapy <laughs> <laughs> i was literally like i can't watch this show anymore this show yeah. is over <laughs> and i love 
that they take the time to meditate on death and responsibility. I actually really like the way that this um, arc ends. Um, episode 13 ends with, we circle back to the the teachers and the bullies at Junpei's school, recognizing the role that they played in ruining Junpei's life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a conversation between uh, a teacher and one of the bullies, which is a nice thematic ribbon tied mm, over the arc. And then Yuji gives this like internal monologue about the fact that in all of the ways that he has confronted death now, he's still trying to make sense of it. And he sort of resolves himself to become stronger until he can understand what it means. Um, and I feel like this does a lot to cement death as a theme of the show. It already was, but I think especially now, we know that death is something that is on the horizon for Yuji's character, mm-hmm. potentially. So I just appreciate the fact that the writing takes the time to explore it in a multitude of ways and to like pause and actually like linger mm-hmm. in that feeling. And it explores it in ways that I feel like go beyond surface level. All right. So we'll move on now to episodes 14 to 16, which is the Kyoto tournament arc. Tournament so arc. So this is the arc where it kind of starts off as like a training arc of sorts. First of all, first of all, I think it's so funny that Yuji spends half this season dead. Yeah. And they're going to make his surprise return a literal joke. It's like, it's pretty comedic the way they built the hype of Yuji's return. Um, imagining how excited everyone will be when it actually happens. And then, like, Gojo's like, no, we gotta make your comeback, like, a big deal. Like, Fushiguro and Nabara are gonna be crying. And then (laughs) they set up this whole thing, and then it cuts to the students, and they're just like, no reaction. (laughs) (laughs) No reaction. Also, Principal Gakuganji straight up telling his students to murder Yuji right, again right. <laughs> during the tournament. Like, Kyoto school is insane. And I feel like that is a common shonen, shonen mm. thing to do as well. Like, when mm-hmm. you're introducing new characters from different schools and you kind of want to give those schools a little bit of impact. So you make them, like, act crazy yeah. when the characters first interact. Another thing that I really like about this arc and the show in general is that there are multiple things going on. Like it is a tournament arc, but there's also this like larger mystery of why curses Mm. are working together and becoming stronger and more intelligent. Mm. And then later on, there's this whole plot point of a spy being suspected at the school and Mm -hmm. which is kind of a trope within itself. Um, And then we have like the villain attack. Um, It's just like, I like that there are these parallel plot threads that are brewing in the background. I really like that um, Toto and Yuji kind of have a moment here. They sort of set up that Toto and Yuji are going to fight each other, and they kind of do, but it's Mm. mostly just a way for Toto to meet Yuji. Um, (laughs) So Toto's character is like your classic beefy jock meathead. but I really like his character. Um, he's very much like an exaggerated caricature, um, mm. often used for comedy. But I really like how Akutami like leans into that caricature. And 
he just gives Toto the most ridiculous scenes in the entire show. Like, the narrative device of Toto, like, entering these vignettes in his head where he envisions Yuji and, like, this whole entire history between them. He basically decides that he really likes Yuji and he wants to be his friend. But the way that it's, like, portrayed as this, like, short film slice of life that happens in his head is so funny he's like writing fanfic of yuji in his head i thought that was like (laughs) really good comedy yeah that was so good Um, i also like how he's like even though it's you know the writer leans into the beefy meathead kind of character yeah he's like supposed to be a very smart as well and Mm -hmm. his clapping technique is not just a punchy punchy technique It's a very strategic one, and he mm-hmm. uses it to his advantage. And then they use that to, like, make Toto into, like, a mentor of sorts for Yuji. Yeah, they give Yuji, like, a, a training teacher. arc in the middle of the tournament arc, which I thought was really smart. Um, I have a couple of things to say about the interaction between Mekamaru and Panda. I have some notes. I have... I don't have notes. I just... Thoughts. I just really like... <laughs> Mekamaru as a character Me too. and the way that he interacts with Panda and why why specifically this matchup is so significant for him mm-hmm. because we find out that Mekamaru is essentially this guy who all he wants is a normal life he wants a normal body and that's not something he has it's not something that he can take advantage of but he just wants to like hang out with his friends you know yeah and that is so sad. And the, we find out that the reason that he has such resentment for Panda is because Panda is literally a cursed puppet. And something about that just rubs Mekamaru the wrong way because he was literally born as a person yeah. without the benefits of being a person, without the freedom or autonomy of being a person. Mm-hmm. And yet this cursed puppet has everything that he's always wanted mm-hmm. and he's not even a real person, you know? Yeah, I like that Mekamaru gets pa- uh, matched up with Panda. And I do really think Mekamaru's character is, is really interesting. The way that he's um, confined uh, because of a certain condition that... Uh, he has, I think that makes a point of highlighting the unique difficulties that a disabled person or a, someone with a chronic illness would face. Um, that's not really something that I've seen a lot in anime, especially in a fantastical anime, you know, to make mm. a member of your main cast, like, disabled or who has, mm-hmm. like, some kind of condition. And I think what's also really endearing about Mekamaru is that I feel like there is something about having that like mechanical exterior, but then in the gag sketches afterwards, yeah. they show him as like the only guy who's actually approachable, like out of the all oh, the yeah. Kyoto students. That like was really all the funny. girls are like, "Can you do this for me?" Yeah, <laughs> so he's really like cute. actually like just the softest, he's just and a approachable nice guy. guy. But when you see him like in his tub with like yeah. all of the tubes connected to him, mm-hmm. and then he's his like way of operating is through like a machine yeah you don't get immediately get that sense from him yeah so he's just, it was pretty <laughs> cute was so endearing yeah so next we have episodes 18 to 20 
And this is the Hanami battle, Hanami battle arc. The writing keeps teasing that there are these, there's a big three in this world of like Jujutsu sorcerers, these like three clans that are kind of like the power, powerful sorcerers of this world. When I first watched the show, I didn't know until around this part of the show that Fushiguro actually belongs to the Zanin clan. Mm-hmm. Because it's not something that Fushiguro really talks about. Um, or acknowledges. Or acknowledges, <laughs> which is very interesting. And yeah. I just think the fact that everyone around Fushiguro keeps talking about how powerful he is, mm. the fact that he belongs to the Zanin clan, and he always just keeps hand-waving it. Um, and we don't really get like yeah. answers for it until the end of the season. I think that it's not just here, but the entire season long, you're right, like, Shiguro has kind of been denying having conversations about his past. And so it's a build-up for something that we, you know, it's probably going to be very emotional and very... Interesting. Yeah, a, big, later. <laughs> a big reveal of some sort later on. So. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you remember like the shot, but there this is where the animation gets absolutely bonkers insane uh-huh. in this arc because there's this scene where um Maki shows up to help out and yeah. it's there's like a, a few minutes where Fushiguro and Maki are both fighting um Hanami at the same time and there's just really good fight choreography and really good sequencing when they switch when they switch with the weapons it's so freaking good it's so cool and actually Maki tends to have some of my favorite choreography in this season so far I think because she is just a weapons user so she doesn't have all this cursed energy all this soft magic cursed techniques that all the other Mm. um characters have um, so her fight choreography is very cool because it's it's very simple to follow. It's just really satisfying to watch because it's just cool martial arts. So then Toto and Yuji drop in like the meatheads that they are. The first thing I want to say about this fight is just the movie level quality of production of this yeah. fight scene. Yeah. I was vibrating like the entire <laughs> budget. This show is so freaking expensive. Like. Every fight gets cooler and cooler and more dynamic. Her entire motivation is that she wants to give time, I think, to like allow the earth to restore itself and to heal as a consequence of human activity. Yeah. And so I think that she's supposed to represent humanity's fear towards nature maybe or like the unknown of nature. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so ironic that her left arm it's like a give and take away kind of thing. Yeah. Her left arm is um, is f- just full of destructive tendencies and she literally sucks the life out of the plants and uh, the wildlife around her. Mm-hmm. And I think it says something about like the villains because even though your villains have, you know, motivations that make sense on a cerebral level, right. you still see that they're, you know, at their core, the mm-hmm. way that they operate is evil inherently like they take life away yeah and use it for their own selfish purposes yeah on the topic of villain motivations i do feel like i i hope that there's i mean i'm sure there is but i hope that there is more to it than just like we want to become the dominant species again because like that's that's fine like that makes sense um but i'm really hoping that there's like 
other things going on there. I really <laughs> like this arc. I don't yeah. have that many things to say about the writing, but honestly, like the battles, chef's kiss, so good. Let's talk about episode 21, the baseball episode. Guys, when I tell you that I could write a dissertation on the baseball Okay, for context, <laughs> this is literally one episode. It's not even like the it's, whole episode. It's one episode. It's literally the it's second half, an half of the episode. And all the Kyoto students and all the Jujutsu High students are essentially playing baseball um, in adorable baseball uniforms. Adorable. And the justification for that, because Gojo wants to. And since Gojo is OP, he gets to do whatever he wants. He gets to do he whatever he wants. He's Gojo. Okay, no. This is Gojo's world, and we're, we're just living in it. <laughs> Can we talk about Mr. Akutami, if you are watching, he <laughs> takes the tournament arc, a trope we know very well mm-hmm. from shonen anime. And in most anime, it usually consists of, you know, individual battles between students and right. or a group exercise that gets overrun mm-hmm. by villains, right? Yes. And Akutami gives us the latter, and he's like... I know what you're expecting next. You're expecting 1v1 battles because mm-hmm. that's what's expected of a shonen anime. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, actually, no. What if the <laughs> teachers of Jujutsu High are so lazy that they literally just put ideas into a box and yeah. they just pull one out every year? The writing really flips the trope on its head. And it's like, I know what the people want, but actually, what if the students just played a game of baseball instead? It's also the mangaka being smart enough to realize that if you think about it, he's probably already explored everything he needs to explore about the characters. So what benefit is there really to having a 1v1 tournament arc right now? I agree. None. So we might as well just break the mold and do something completely different. And that works for a show like this, because I think Akutami has a really good sense of comedic timing. Mm, he knows, yeah, he knows how to build comedy around the specific personalities of his characters. And I like that this episode at the end returns to the overarching point of tension, which is Yuji's existence as a vessel for Sukuna is a threat as long as he's alive. Mm-hmm. And we hear the conversation between the two principals discussing this conflict and reminding us that this is something we will have to reckon with later on, but not mm-hmm. presenting it with a sense of foreboding, but with a sense of excitement. Like there's a sense of mm-hmm. hype that you get when right. you hear Principal Yaga talking and he's just like, you know, we don't know what the right thing to do is with this yuji kid so we might as well just go with the flow right now it's like mm-hmm. you're excited to see where the characters will go in their life yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. i think that's why it's a really well-crafted episode like uh-huh. it's framed as a light-hearted gag but actually it creates this very necessary breathing room to remind the audience mm-hmm. of all of these overarching conflicts and themes of the show before stepping into the next mini arc of the season while also being funny as hell. <laughs> That's a good point. I like what you that you call it, uh, like what it does is give you breathing room. Because now that I think about it, it wouldn't make much sense to have that tournament arc be disturbed by the villains mm-hmm. and have such like terrible consequences for everybody 
and then go right back into 1v1 battles. Like, it just wouldn't yeah. make sense, especially considering the gravity of it all that <clears throat> had just happened. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, having a baseball episode, like, that's the only way that he could have gone. Yeah. You know, the writer could have gone to make this story special mm-hmm. um, and break the mold, as you said, and make sense mm-hmm. pacing-wise. And, yeah, I and as an audience, like, I needed it. <laughs> it was so funny. Okay, comedy highlights... From yeah. the baseball episode. First okay. of all, Me- I'm so ready. number one, Mekamaru showing oh up to the game as a pitching machine because he like, probably didn't even know he was in the game because his regular robot body got destroyed. I was on the floor. Oh my god. And then the way that they like flash these like fun facts about each character <laughs> when it's their turn. When it was Toto's turn and his was one middle school nationals with Itadori. Itadori denies this. That was so good, man. That was so good. All of them were so funny. I also want to say that aside Mm. from being hilarious, there are two notable moments that are important to the story. And the first one is the conversation between Kamo and Itadori about... Just go, yes, again, yeah. going back to the idea of why we save people and who do we save. Mm. And I think this was notable because this is the first time where we see Kyoto and the the students of Kyoto starting to understand Yuji and where he's coming from. So that was the first notable moment. And the other moment, which I'm a big fan of, is when Shiguro punts the ball. And then we cut to a scene of... Gojo like watching him oh yeah that's yeah and I was like when that happened I was like what so I literally like rewatched it a few times to be like what's and the I meaning? was like <laughs> I couldn't figure it out but then later we find out that it has implications for the story and for Shigeru's character development and I was like wow like even in the most lighthearted and like throwaway episode He's still doing things. He's still doing things. So the last arc, uh, episodes 22 to 24, we're back at it. We're doing some mystery investigation. Mystery arc! Oh, right. I am obsessed. Mystery. Oh, my God. Same. No, I am obsessed with the way that this episode plays out. Mm. This episode <laughs> starts, again, with a cold open, one of my absolute yeah. favorite things in any piece of storytelling. Mm-hmm. We see this opening shot of a man complaining to a landlord about how his door has been having issues auto locking and then it pans up and we see a cursed spirit hanging above him and presumably proceeding to kill him i think it's just really good urban fantasy mystery storytelling Uh it starts as such a benign thing like anyone can imagine how weird and creepy it is to come home to your door wide open. I love that this arc starts with such an ordinary real life thing and mm-hmm. then having these mystery elements that are making use of that ordinary circumstance that we could encounter in our real world and then mm-hmm. building a supernatural mystery around that. Yeah. I was literally like, "Okay, Jujutsu Kaisen, you really okay. just you really just made this show just for me, didn't you?" <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, yeah. And I love the idea of the trio solving mysteries. Like, I just love it. It was clearly from the get-go set up to be 
a new mystery arc. They don't try to force the mystery arc to exactly. fit in with the rest of the season and the rest the the way that the other episodes were crafted beforehand. They yep. they kind of treat it as its own <coughs> product and i really like that because if you're gonna write a mystery you might as well go all in and write it well right beginning to end and so i love the idea of the trio being detectives just going back to our previous discussions about what missed good mystery entails it's like one clue leads to another to yeah. another and each clue escalates the exactly. stakes and escalates the story we find out that the story is tied to shigeru's past because not only do we find ourselves back at his middle school but we also find that his sister is involved. Yeah, so episode 23 is... Oh, oh my goodness gracious. Okay. This is where... Let me just hold on. This is where we finally see why the mangaka was holding out on Fushiguro's character. Mm. And I like, in hindsight, I like that we didn't explore this until later but kept hinting at it because it gives us time to get to know Fushiguro in bits and pieces and create our own opinion of who he is before Mm -hmm. we kind of flip it on its head Fushiguro starts fighting this special grade the same one that we encountered about this scene okay at the start of the season (laughs) let's go um and then we get a glimpse of a training arc in a flashback and it shows us that when Yuji returned much stronger, it actually pushed Fushiguro to swallow his pride and ask Gojo to train him. Yeah, is this a rivalry <laughs> incoming? I, I don't know, <clears throat> but we love a good rivalry. Like you mentioned uh, earlier, Gojo brings up the analogy of a bunt versus a home run. Mm-hmm. which calls back to the baseball episode. It's a really efficient way to explain Fushiguro's personality. Um, Yuji is someone who would always go for a home run, whereas yeah. Fushiguro would settle for a bunt, whatever works, right? He points out that Fushiguro has always viewed his job as a sorcerer, as like a team sport, and he's always unconsciously willing to settle. And Gojo has this line where he says, dying to win and risking your life to win are different things be greedier banger line and this line of be greedier this is such a concise way to shed light on what is holding Fushiguro back and what separates him from yuji which is ambition um yeah like it's not that he's not strong but it's that if he wants to get stronger he has to think bigger and i think that mm-hmm. this is such an amazing arc to give to a side character because it's almost like bringing attention to the fact that Fushiguro sees himself as a side character. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting trait to give to a character that's supposed to be the protagonist's rival. Because Mm -hmm. usually with rival characters, they are rivals because their personalities clash or they have the same goal. But that's not really the case Mm -hmm. with these two. And what Gojo tells him in this flashback scene is essentially to be selfish and Mm -hmm. like be the protagonist of your own life like that's how you become stronger going through these great lengths to make fushiguro just seem like your textbook stoic character like almost borderline boring is interesting because they kept teasing and teasing throughout the season all these moments where fushiguro is like just on the cusp of using his full power but he's always holding back and Mm -hmm. finally we're now seeing him unleash it we finally Mm -hmm. see fushiguro 
coming alive in this almost like manic way. Like if you remember his facial expression when he like decides yeah. to use his full power, he it's like he looks crazy, which is such a contrast to how we've seen him um, all season. Yeah. Um, that's why I think it was really smart that they brought back a villain that we've already seen because it very True. clearly illustrates the difference between Fushiguro at the start of the season versus now. And it's he like, ran at the start exactly. of the season and now he faces it. I did not think we were going to get all of that um, yeah. in this season and I thought it was really, really great. Mm-hmm. I think when she, I really, really love this part of this arc. When Shiguro released his domain expansion, it felt so cathartic. This character is characterized in a way that mm-hmm. he's always so uptight all the time and he holds yeah. a lot of things back and I think what you said about the character rivalry is true <clears throat> um in that he kind of does have everything that's required on his face to be like the perfect character foil for Yuji because their personalities yeah. are very different you just need the mindset which is why the rivalry never felt like a true rival rivalry until this point i mean i feel like it still has Mm -hmm. to get started Mm -hmm. but i like the i feel like it's a common thing in shonen like if you want to be extremely powerful you have to tap into a a part of you that is not something that is usually some uh that is usually a part of you so what Mm, i mean for example is yuji when he really demonstrates power um in dire circumstances he becomes very serious and more restrained than he usually is because mm. he's usually more laid back and casual but it's kind of it kind of has to be the opposite for Shiguro because usually he is very uptight but when he releases his domain expansion I I like the fact that he says you know it's not going to look pretty um right but <clears throat> it's just literally raw power that he's unleashing yeah. and he uses like Shadows, like how dark and sinister. I know. Can you get any more emo? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I like that he faces this special grade alone. There's always been this almost like distrust between Shiguro and his the other first years that he's still trying to learn how to break out of, and he literally had just had this moment where he like essentially lied to the other two. Yeah. he you know it's fine like other people have taken over the mission and he tries to take on the mission himself but then the other two obviously like they're not gonna let him do that and they follow him and they tell him you know you don't have to tell us what's been bothering you you just have to trust us yeah and so this is like the beginning of i guess shiguro coming out of his shell towards the people who Mm -hmm. you would think he already trusts but he just has so many trust issues that he hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah. And so this is kind of him having that battle, that moment to himself to tell himself, like, it's okay to unleash it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it gives you hope that it makes you look forward to that day when he can unleash that power in front of other people and be a little bit more vulnerable and allow people into his life to see what he's truly capable of because that's kind of like the... That's kind of been his, the entire reason he wasn't able to show his true power. And then also, just the backstory that we get about Fushiguro's character as well, that contextualizes why he is the way that he is. Like, Mm. uptight, has trust issues, a very staunch believer in, like, good and bad people. 
essentially it kind of feels like Fushiguro hasn't had any control over some of the biggest aspects right. of his life. Like he can't control his father selling him to this like gross family. Um, he can't control even like becoming a jujutsu, jujutsu sorcerer. Like that wasn't his even his choice. His sister cursed. His sister getting cursed, and now he has like all of these things that he wants to tell her. All of these. Um, yeah. regrets that he has about how he treated her. The fact that all of that happens within the span of an episode is mm. like really impressive, I think. Okay, shall we talk about episode 24? <laughs> I think this is hands down the most stylish fight in I the was entire obsessed show. obsessed with this episode. The I agree. Entire yeah. show. I freaking yeah. love this episode. I you, also want to say start? that I think Nobara's power is so cool. It's so like, hot. It's very... <laughs> But Nobara's power, ability, essentially, is that as long as she grabs a piece of you um, and sticks it to her voodoo doll and she hammers down on the doll with, like, her nails, um, you get hurt. Yeah. And so I think that is, that kind of power requires so much intellect, like, in combat. combat. Mm -hmm. And so when she, she realizes that the enemy has left a sort of imprint on her arm she <gasps> literally drives her own nails through her arm yeah to cause damage to her enemies i know i just think i just think that that is so smart i was obsessed i was so <laughs> I obsessed think it's crazy. with that okay so. yeah the thing about her driving like the um the nails into mm. her wrist and mm-hmm. she does it with this like crazy expression on her face. I, right. Other than the fact that that's very cool and very badass, it kind of goes recalls back to this um, comment that Momo makes during their fight about mm. um, what scars mean on a woman's body. That's right. Um, Momo like makes this whole thing about how you know scars are like seen as like a blemish on a woman's face, whereas for mm-hmm. men it's like a you know uh, something to be proud of. Battle scar. And the fact honor. that. I mean, I don't know if this was intentional on Akutami's part, but I do think that the fact that we see Nobara without second thoughts, ready to pierce her own body mm-hmm. in this fight, I thought was like a really interesting point about her character that mm-hmm. she really does break the mold for a lot of expectations that people might have of her as a sorcerer, as a female character. And this solidifies her as being very capable but also like on equal footing with yuji and i think this fight just shows like how strong she is and i was just Mm -hmm. so in love with the respect and care that was put into her portrayal so far this season and Mm -hmm. i think it was such a good display of character growth the fact that yuji and like Nobara and fushiguro the squad they eliminate all of these special grade curses by themselves like they're thriving. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's such a contrast to how they were at the start of the season where they yeah. barely got out of that first fight alive. And now they're here fighting three of them mm-hmm. and they're fine. And just about the fight generally, um, I think that it is it is the right time to bring in human human cursed spirit hybrids. Because at this point, it's like, all right, so you know that cursed spirits exist. You know that mm-hmm. they're able to be special grade. And you know that there is a whole conflict about death, what that means, what it means to die properly, what it means to kill. Yeah. And now you're going to bring everything together and make it even more complicating. 
by introducing human spirit curse hybrids because right. now it's like how is yuji gonna face that you know how is yuji gonna come to terms with killing a cursed spirit who has a physical body who once used to be human or who was mm-hmm. who, who still is and so it raises the stakes for upcoming seasons but it's even more like impactful that he fights this fight alongside Nobara. And again, you see the difference between their ideologies and how Nobara comes out of that being like, yeah, yeah you just got to do what you got to do. Yeah. But Yuji's like really, mm-hmm. he's like really like troubled, you know? And they have this conversation while oh walking through the forest. I'm obsessed. Under the moonlight. So much care was put into their interaction and their the pairing of these two characters together was very deliberate. I really love the use of this creepy folktale as a backstory for the cursed brothers that uh, mm. Yuji and Nobara are fighting in this episode. Um, I think, like you said, the episode goes to great lengths to show how, despite the fact that these curses like aren't humans, mm-hmm. they have this sense of a brotherly bond that is inherently a humanizing trait. Mm-hmm. And Yuji especially has to reckon with that humanizing trait and what it means to him that he murdered something capable of feeling emotion. Yeah. And, okay, I really like what Nobara says in this scene where they're talking afterwards, where they're walking through the forest. She says, um, there are only so many seats open in my life and I don't want to let my heart be swayed by anyone who's not sitting in one of them. I was really obsessed with this quote because I think it says a lot about Nabara as a person. Unlike Yuji, who is overbearingly kind mm-hmm. and driven by this need to be a good person, mm-hmm. Nobara recognizes that allowing yourself to care so much about everyone and everything in the world yeah. is mentally and emotionally difficult i just i really like this conversation as well like it it doesn't end on any specific thesis statement yeah it's not cynical or hopeful like yuji just says you know at the end of the day i'm happy we're alive but we still killed living beings and Mm -hmm. nobara's like i guess we did and (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. the show isn't trying to say what was right or wrong but it's laying out like all the facets of what this fight means emotionally for these characters and showing us more about who Nobara is as a person while continuing to challenge Yuji. I also like the ending, how they wrapped it up. Oh, yeah. So essentially, Shiguro tells Nobara to not tell Yuji that essentially all of these things started happening Mm -hmm. because Yuji absorbed Sukuna's first finger. He he knows Yuji well enough at this point to know that Yuji will take that to heart and potentially might start blaming himself. Yeah. And then we cut to a scene of Sukuna telling Yuji exactly yeah. that. And mm-hmm. he's walking down the hallway. Yeah. And it's like Yuji already knows these things, but yeah. he tells Sukuna to not tell Shiguro. Yeah. And I was like, Obsessed. imagine knowing your characters. <laughs> so well that you can write something like this and it's like what a great wrap up to your season i think the way that the show writes friendship is very good um the idea that fushiguro and nabara who are not 
very like they're they're quite cold as people on the surface and the fact that this is a conversation between these two very cold characters essentially about how they agree to not tell this to Yuji because they want to protect Yuji's feelings mm-hmm. was a very poignant moment I think and even though it's only a few lines of dialogue it it does a lot to show the extent of the main trio's friendship and how much they actually care about each other. And I think that the friendship is handled with a lot of care and nuance. Like, shounen anime tends to favor writing that focuses on extremes. Like, Mm. extreme rivalry, hatred, or on the Mm. other end of it, like, preachy rants about friendship. But this show manages to create this sense that these characters really truly care about each other by showing versus telling. And mm-hmm. just to go back to Fushiguro and, and Yuji as rivals, I say they're interesting because they don't follow the traditional rivalry tropes. They're not childhood friends with deep mm-hmm. history. They're not two characters that hate each other and are directly fighting for the same goal. They really are just two people who shared some formative experiences together and mm-hmm. they respect each other and they care a lot about each other. And we can see that with the character writing without it ever feeling overwritten. Right. I don't think rivals have to hate each other. I think they can care about each other deeply while still mm-hmm. being rivals. And I think it's that level of nuance that tr- truly elevates this show from good mm-hmm. to great. It's just a very, and I, I believe you called the show meditative a lot. I think that this is like a very meditative ending because it is it leaves you with our three main protagonists everything that they've been through Mm -hmm. and it just leaves you with all of these thoughts about their relationship about the things that they're fighting against they're just best friends (laughs) (laughs) Um, i think my favorite my favorite sketch oh yeah what's your favorite sketch i have a couple i wrote them down let me see my favorite sketch hands down yeah is when yuji like runs up to gojo and nobara and he's Ooh. like guys emergency she could always get hit on that's I, that's one of my favorites as well and as soon as yuji is like she could always getting hit on <laughs> gojo is like okay execute plan whatever whatever and then they like go and like act they have, up they have in this front whole, of the girl this whole contingency plan <laughs> For this one scenario, it's pretty comedic. And Gojo is like, I'm your violin teacher, let's go for violin lessons. Okay, so for the next segment on the pod, we are going to do the Bechdel test. Um, This is a test that was devised by a cartoonist named Alison Bechdel, and it's a measure of female representation in any given piece of media. Um, There are three simple questions. Uh, First, are there at least two named female characters? Do they speak to each other? And do they speak to each other about something other than a male love interest? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, this show definitely I passes. Think they do. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The female characters in this show are some of my favorite female characters in anime in a really, <laughs> really long time. I mm-hmm. I love how they are written. I hope that more of the female characters 
get battle time, battle Definitely. screen time yeah. in the future. Because a lot of these characters are established as very cunning and very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the main showdowns don't involve them, or at least don't involve them on their own. And so I'm looking forward to seeing Nobara getting way more screen time and character development, hopefully her own arc. Yes. Um, and also... The power ranking system in this world, a lot of the women are not considered as powerful just because they don't have that kind of power, you know? So I I won't say that this show is perfect, Mm -hmm. but I think that compared to a lot of other shows, it stands at the top, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Um, I guess we can start with Nobara's character. I Mm -hmm. felt, at first, I was like, She's stock standard female shonen character, but by the time we hit that end of season fight, I really started to appreciate how she was Uh written, how she was portrayed, and how her relationship with Yuji and Fushiguro is is handled. I love Mm -hmm. that her femininity isn't erased from who she is or shown as a weakness. She definitely has flaws, like she's kind of a narcissist, but that has yeah. nothing to do with her being a girl. You know what I, I mean? I agree. Uh, I really appreciate the fact that she was given the archetype of being the abrasive, shouty character. Because as the show makes a point of saying, girls are often held to this expectation wherein if they're not nice or pleasant, they aren't allowed to have flaws. So I just appreciate that Nobara shatters that expectation and is given the personality of just being kind of rude. I love her relationship with the boys, especially Yuji. Like, I think Nobara and Yuji have the grumpy ex-ball of sunshine dynamic. I love that. And I love that it's, I love that it's a boy and a girl dynamic. And I love that Nobara is the grumpy one. I would like to see more development for her later. She Uh has a personality, um, but she doesn't have an arc. And I would like to see her have an arc. I love how they made her hot-headed and stubborn. Mm -hmm. Because, not because of any particular reason, but only because that's just the way she is. Like, that's her personality, Mm -hmm. take it or leave it. And I feel like a lot of times that shouty character is delegated to the men. Like, Mm -hmm. a lot of the times, exhibit A. I shall now show a picture of Bakugo on the screen. Yeah. Um, she's also like a little socially inept. Too, yeah. Because like she's from the countryside. <laughs> she's kind of dumb. And on that note, I really like how much emphasis they put on shaping her character because she comes from the countryside. Because mm-hmm. I think that even though, you know, they're all young and they're all students, yeah. there is a certain mindset that comes from growing up in the suburbs, growing up in the city. And they allow her backstory to really, like, influence her personality. I'm excited for her arc, as you said. I would love for her to get an arc. She needs her solo battle, Mm -hmm. and she needs her arc, and she needs her character development, and she needs her training arc. Sorry, I'm just giving her everything. (laughs) And she needs her own anime. (laughs) Let's talk about Maki and Mai. Maki and Mai. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting, just like on a general level. Yeah. To write, I always think it's interesting writing twins because there's always that tension Mm. between, you know, the ways in which they're similar or the ways in which they're supposed to be similar, but they're in fact very different. Right. And I really like 
Although I feel like this, these twins could have gotten a little bit more writing and yeah. in-depth character analysis. Um, I like their dynamic and I like how they, they have one twin who is by all means more courageous, more headstrong, more ambitious. Yeah. And the other one who, you know, likes to stay in her comfort zone and is okay with that, but has to almost put up a front because of mm-hmm. pressure, family dynamics and family pressures. Yeah. And so that conflict was never able to rise to the surface and have that cathartic moment, that revelation, until they actually battle it out, I mm. believe, in episode 17. When you have a past together as children and you grow up in very separate worlds and you have very separate ideologies, it's always complicated because mm. you have that experience of being friends, you know, being innocent children together and growing up and especially like being sisters. Like there's so much weight that comes with sisterhood and what that means Mm -hmm. that, you know, I feel like could have been explored in so much more detail. Um, They didn't, which is fine because we still had it. But yeah, I thought it was interesting. I really love the idea that Maki has to overcome a system of power that's actively working against her. Like, Mm. not only as a sorcerer, but as a woman. Like, the idea of becoming number one and being the best and proving yourself Mm. to your family or the world, I feel Mm -hmm. like that's the kind of deep, compelling motivation and dramatic, like, character goal that's often given to male characters. So Mm -hmm. I just appreciated the attention that was put into crafting Maki's arc. She has such lofty goals of not even just being acknowledged, but dismantling the system and becoming head of her clan. Like, And she has no powers. <laughs> we love a revolutionary. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have anything to say about Miwa? Miwa? Other than the fact that she's adorable? It's so cute. <laughs> like, the way the Miwa way. <laughs> is like super uptight around her principal yeah and she's like excuse me gojo sensei but you can't talk like that to him and then yeah. inside she's like oh my gosh she's gojo. To gojo sensei. <laughs> i love her i would say that Miwa's arguably like one of the most relatable characters like she just seems yeah. like your everyday girl you know oh my god like, I, know. I love any scene that Miwa anything any of. scene that she's in any scene Miwa is best best girl she is such a contrast from nobara and maki like (laughs) and all the other girls actually she's sort of like Mm -hmm. she is that good girl archetype she's she's polite she's cute and i kind of love that because it leans away from that expectation that a quote-unquote good female character has to be super stoic and badass. Uh, I guess the last thing we can talk about is uh, Momo versus Nobara, specifically Mm -hmm. the conversation that they have in episode 17. Yes. So to in sum, they have this whole battle, which kind of does feel like a token feminism battle. I have a lot of feelings about this scene. She says, even if they are strong, women have to be cute or they'll be undervalued. Of course, even if they're cute, they'll still be undervalued if they're not also strong. Do you get it? They don't demand strength from female jujutsu sorcerers. They demand perfection. I thought that was like a pretty banger line, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think that there's, you know, that there are points being made, Mm -hmm. as as you say. And I thought it was also a nice contrast between Momo and between Nobara because... 
Momo, Momo is like the, the one who acknowledges the problems, you know, like there are problems in the system. Here's what they are. Novara is literally out here just like being herself. Being She's like, and herself. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. And she says to her in response, what makes us obligated to meet such perfection or such absurd demands? I'm Kugisaki Novara. And I was like, I have thoughts, though. <laughs> OK, OK, why don't yeah, you go yeah. ahead? Go ahead. Sorry, I don't I'm not like rolling at your your eye, my eyes at your yes. points. I'm rolling yes. my eyes at the dialogue because <laughs> this was the only time again. This show is making points. It is doing it is making points that are often mm-hmm. never even made in right. anime. And but this was the only time in the season where I felt a theme was being overstated. <laughs> and it it did feel a little token. I think the theme is really poignant, like delving into the fact that women have to be perfect to, to be valued in the eyes of the current jujutsu system. OK, mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. that. But I just think it they didn't need to have this conversation because the re- mm. the reason that Momo is even bringing it up is because she's saying all this stuff about like you're not being fair to Mai because mm. she's a woman in this system and we're all just mm-hmm. like women in this system and you're like not mm-hmm. being fair to her but it's like why is Momo like bringing Does that this matter? up yeah and why yeah. is she bringing it up to Nobara it felt like the writer was waving his arms and being like hey I'm trying to say something and obviously yeah. Saying something is better than not saying anything at all. But, you know, I'm not true. But I'm not going to, like, give it an A plus just because you put it in there. Obviously, I like that Nobara does have that counter argument of, like, I don't care and I'm just going to live my life. But Mm. it felt really contrived. But But we love them. But it still passes and we love them. And all of them are best girls. Our next segment is called Dumpster Fire. Dumpster Fire is a time where we could just lose our brain cells They're and gone. talk about Satoru Gojo. I mean, anything we want. <laughs> I mean, anything we want. What are you talking about? <laughs> Who's Gojo? <laughs> <laughs> I would like to start with music. Yes, please. Okay. The way in which they curated the music for this show from the OPs to the EDs mm-hmm. to the background soundtrack mm-hmm. is amazing. Um, I think the music makes the show feel really contemporary, really stylish. Mm-hmm. And like it's a way to breathe a sense of life into the characters in, in a really short amount of time. So Eve, the band Eve, gave us mm. our banger OP1, Kai Kai Kitan. I think pop rock is a really great choice for Shonen openings in my opinion very safe choice Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it does a lot to generate hype i think eve is an amazing band ed1 lost in paradise by ali featuring obsessed with ed1 ed1 (laughs) has transcended into a modern classic i think the way that it's shot as this fun little (laughs) fashion show with um this sort of doodle art style like i saw the the ending and i was like this is so stylish that on, <laughs> got me. on principle, I have to watch this. I also want to talk about OP2 and ED2. Okay. Yeah. First of all, the uh-huh. fact that both of these are rotoscoped 
I was obsessed. When I first saw OP2, I went absolutely feral because mm. the animation, <laughs> the animation was insane. When you rotoscope mm. something, you rotoscope it because you want the animation to literally look like frame for frame, like a real, yeah, yeah, yeah. real life, you know? And okay, ED2 <laughs> yep. shot as a cell phone video. ED2 should be in a museum. As Yuji's cell phone? As Yuji's, as a compil... <laughs> as a compilation of the moments that he spends with the other students. It's such a smart artistic choice because you watch this ending and it feels like you're truly watching like a group of teenagers just hanging out and yeah. taking Instagram stories of each other. And the song is like really beautiful. It's like a piano mm-hmm. ballad, so it's kind of emotional. Breathtaking, spectacular. Never before seen. I love it. I just love, like, at the very end when it's, like, you know, it's, like, typical. They're, like, calling Yuji over, oh and then we, we cut God. from, like, filmed shots to, like, Yuji holding the phone. Uh, do you want to talk about VAs? I will talk about VAs. So, Gato's voice okay. actor. He did sound familiar. Yeah. Um, Sakurai Takahiro. And he also voices, like, Reagan from Mob Psycho oh, 100. True. So it's like some of these actors Very different. have supporting roles, but they're actually huge. Another fun fact is okay. Mahito's VA. Uh-huh. I didn't catch his name, but Mahito's VA. Okay, do you remember our Your Name episode when we were saying <laughs> that Taki's um, best friend is voiced by Kageyama's <laughs> VA? Yeah, how could I forget? But... Taki's other friend is voiced by Mahito's <laughs> Not only is Taki best friends with Kageyama, but he's also best friends with Mahito. Love okay, that. Okay, now for the big dogs. Um, okay. Nobara, her mm-hmm. VA, yeah. Seita Asami, mm. voices one notable character, female character, from yeah. Bungo. And I want you to try guessing Bungo, 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 Bungo. Higuchi? Yes. Okay. She has that strong girl voice yeah i mean yeah so step on me voice (laughs) and then our last big dog satoru kojo's va nakamura yuchi Mm -hmm. he voices a character from haikyuu and i want you to guess freaking hell oh my god (laughs) i'm forgetting his name it's kuro Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I know what he looks like. Yeah, I know you got it in your head. I knew you got I it. I did. I forgot his name. Frick. I'm sorry. Yeah, Gojo voices Kuro. Okay, and it's like, of course, you get all of, like, the freaking Bishonen characters. Bishonen characters. Um, and the reason why I'm allowed to say that is yeah. because he also voices Ikuto from Shikochara. That's... We've come full so... circle. We've Gojo's voice is literally my first crush. He's your first love. Uh, that's really great. You didn't look up um, the other VAs? I was just wondering if you would look up Nanami's VA. Oh, that's it. No, I didn't. I'm not interested in that one. Yeah, um, it's, it's just not. It's not. Like, did he I even didn't. speak? No. I never heard. I, I never heard Nanami. Nanami speak. I was quite aware of when Nanami's character showed up on screen. I Your was eyes quite were aware. Open. 
Yes. Um, <clears throat> it's a voice. It's a good voice. Like it's the drawl. Anyways, it's the, dra- <laughs> it's, it's the drawl. It's the drawl. I feel like this is the workshop um, bingo card. Like it's the drawl. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. But okay. except the bingo card is just drawl. <laughs> so if you get it, it's like, you got it. You got me. So, okay, for the character designs, just the way that characters mm-hmm. look. All I have to say about this is that anytime I see alt outfits in a contemporary shonen anime, I go rabid. <laughs> Stop. I love when... Mangakas take the time to consider all facets of their characters' personalities and would think about, yeah, this is what a character would wear if they weren't in their school uniform. I like when Gojo switches out his blindfold for glasses. Because it's like, there's... (laughs) Chris closes her eyes. The audacity... Of Gojo's character design. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Story time. (laughs) I literally had not... (laughs) I literally had not watched the show yet. (laughs) And there was this one night that I had a dream and Gojo was in it. (laughs) I don't want to talk anymore. (laughs) You're about to say something that is going to be edited out. (laughs) I just think that Gojo, in the open collar, baby blue button down, period. (laughs) My soul has left my body. We've given Gojo too much power. He doesn't need more. Yeah, he's too OP already. Why do they have to give him... Why do they have to make him so competent i'm mad yeah like is he rich (laughs) sorry i hate it here (laughs) okay anyways uh what else what else is our favorite segment our favorite segment guessing each other's favorite characters i have a point in my notes in episode 23 oh no 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 OMG, Shiguro at his core is such a morally gray character. I wonder how Chris is doing right now. <laughs> so, bye. My first thanks, guess. For your, thanks for joining this episode. We're done. Bye. <laughs> my first guess is Shiguro. Yeah, this one was too obvious. Yeah, like, this one was so this one easy. Was too easy. Like, as soon as I <laughs> saw him again, I was like, she's going to know. Let me go for number two. <laughs> Let yeah. me get two for two now. Nobara. <laughs> <laughs> and for my last guess, <clears throat> I'm yeah. going to say Gojo. <laughs> I think all of them are very predictable yeah. for me. Like, even if I was very stoic about everyone, mm. I think you still would have guessed all three. Right. Given right. my track record, like, I like the mm-hmm. Sundere character the most, usually. Mm-hmm. I like. Um, charismatic OP characters, <laughs> as we know from Spike Spiegel. Mm-hmm. And I like hot girls. <laughs> okay, yours so. is gonna. I need to think about this. I just have a moment. 
Explain your thinking. So okay, I'm gonna think out loud. I'm gonna think out loud. Appropriate. I can guide you. Given your track record, I want to say that Yuji would be one of your favorites. Right. Right. But would he be your top? Mm. You spoke at length about Gojo's neck. But is that enough of a character traits to dictate a fa- <laughs> But then he's also Ikuto. But we know that voice actors don't play a role in your preferences. Uh-huh. We know that from Tamaki Suo. I'm going to guess that one of them is Miwa? <gasps> what? You got it? Wait, is that your top? No, she's my, like, optimistic character. Oh, okay, okay, but one of them is Miwa. And my side character, yeah. Oh, my God, okay. Because if it's not Yuji, (gasps) then I felt like she was the most optimistic character. Yeah, yeah. Because main cast isn't really optimistic, other than Yuji. Is one of them Gojo? Yes, that's my top character. Really? Yeah. Gojo's your top? Yeah. Okay. Don't underestimate my simpery. I was surprised because during our bungo episode, there's that joke that I made where I was, I guess that Dazai was your favorite character. And you were like, he's too OP. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, so you don't like them OP. Yeah. Try guessing my third one. This one is like, this one is like near and dear to my heart. Wait. (laughs) Is it Junpei? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, why would you do that to yourself? I know. I love Junpei. I, I love him too, though. I do love him a lot. They really... Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, you got mine so easily. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, If there's a shounen anime, I feel like I'm so predictable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yuji is cute. Like, I love Yuji. Oh, don't get me wrong. I actually feel like Yuji... <clears throat> Because he's the protagonist, belongs in his own little yes bubble. Of course, I like him. I can't even think straight. <laughs> um, what's the next segment? Um, we are <laughs> ratings. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna rate this show. Oh. I'm gonna rate this show 4.5 out of 5. Gojo sunglasses. <laughs> what is it? I'm sorry, that was really simp- simpery of me to do that. Um, That's okay. I'm surprised you chose 4 out of 5. I thought you were gonna give it a perfect. I think I need to see more of the show to really give it everything, mm. you know? Because. I do think right. that the show has a lot of personality. I think it has a lot of flair. And I am really invested in the characters. Um, but I would like to see where, how it chooses to build out the rest of its world and all mm-hmm. of those deeper pieces of lore. Um, because that's where I feel like I'll be really impressed. I already think it's amazing. I already mm-hmm. think it's shown in excellence. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, but I would like to see more because I think there's so many things that they're teasing. Um, and it's one thing to set everything up, give a glimpse of all of these great ideas, but it's another thing to actually execute all of that. So 4.5, but, you know, it's a 5 in my heart. I'm 
also gonna give it a 4.5 okay Uh, meatballs that yuji taught shiguro how to make oh my god i love that skit Mm -hmm. i thought at the beginning there were some parts where I felt like they were telling and not showing. There was a lot of exposition that had to be done just because it's a whole complicated world. But towards the end, like, I thought I was really, really endeared to the characters. And, like, I just really want to protect them. I really love their dynamic. So even though there's room for improvement and there will be future seasons, I'm kind of like, I feel confident that the show will deliver because it hasn't failed me just yet. Yeah. Um, But the reason why I don't give it a perfect is because I do feel like the show tries to do a lot of things. And when you try to do so many things, and when you're that fast paced, there's always going to be points where you do have to, you know, say it and not show because you just don't have the time for it or you Mm. just don't have the budget for it. And also, we were talking a lot about how the show leans into a lot of tropes and it doesn't subvert it all the time. I'm not saying a perfect show has to, but I am saying, like, take the initiative to go above and beyond and try to break the mold because that is what is going to you know, plant you in shonen history, I guess. You know, like, I don't think Jujutsu Kaisen is going to be... I don't think it's like a trailblazer in any particular aspect. I just think that it uses everything that's available to it as a genre and does it really, really well. But it's not like a hero Aka where it subverts tropes and turns it into something hopeful and optimistic instead. And yeah. overall, I... I thought it was just like an amazing anime visually, mm. uh, visually super engaging. And I really loved the show still. Yeah, this is going to sound really controversial, but I actually see I'm ready. this has nothing to do with the quality of BNHA. I think BNHA is amazing. Mm. Um, I see the potential based on my tastes and where the manga is going that this show has the potential for me to like it even more than BNHA. I don't think that a show needs to break like tropes in order to mm. be a five out of five. Like just how the story feels is is just as important to me than like what it's trying to say. And I do think mm-hmm. that already the way that Akutami has like approached his themes and his writing is already like, I already genuinely think that he is doing something different in Shonen. Yeah, like I, I don't want to give it a five yet because right, right. he's not finished speaking, you know? He still has yes, the microphone in his hand. That's true. Um, and I really, I really, in my heart, I want him to to reach for that five out of five. Yeah, um, yeah. I really hope that he doesn't choose to settle for like just the average Shonen. And yeah. so far he hasn't. Okay, that brings us to the end of our podcast episode. Thank you so much for making it this far. We know it wasn't easy. Today was quite a long Today episode, was not a easy. long haul. <laughs> um, but yeah, you could find us on Twitter. We're at Into the Workshop. You can also follow us on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your pods. And we are looking forward to seeing you guys next time.